What's up, everybody? It's Joe LaPuma. You were listening. You were watching the Complex Sneakers podcast. As always, I am joined by my two hosts, my two friends to my right, Mr. Matt Welty. We're here. And, of course, to my left, Mr. Brendan Dunn. We're very much here. We are. A lot to talk about. Spicy week. There's a lot. Some Listen, some weeks there's not a lot of sneaker news. Mm-hmm. Some weeks there are. Some weeks there's a ton. I feel like there's a ton. Oh, there's a bunch. And, you know, we had to... We had to shift some stuff around mm-hmm. because we didn't think we were going to get to this, uh, these topics right. today for this week, but we made it happen because there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, and then I guess the other part of the disclaimer, I don't know how important it is, but when you hear the episode next week, we recorded that one before yeah. this one. So. Maybe some dated football stuff in there. Just let it go. Yeah. You, know? you don't come to this podcast to hear us talk about football. Exactly. Right? Don't. Exactly. <laughs> They're here to talk, they come here to hear us talk about what our, our meals on the weekend. And, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and this one, I feel like. Superintendent activities. S- straight to finish, it's going to be a lot of sneaker news. Yeah. The, the one big one, and Joe, I hope you saw this, but Wealthy has entered a sneaker raffle. Oh, yeah. I, I saw that. And he, he's a man of his word. He said that on this podcast yes. that he was going after the brown Tom Sachs general purpose well, you, shoes. You put it out into the ether, mm-hmm. right? Saying, you want to see me do it. Yes. Um. So. As you know, as things align, as you put it out into mm-hmm. the universe, I get a a mention on Twitter, of course, saying, "Hey, just in case." And then someone sent me a link to a raffle at Feature mm-hmm. LV LV in Love Las the, Vegas. Uh, shouts to shouts to them. What up, AJ? Yeah, they so, had the vans. Remember? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Love those vans yeah. in the packaging. I'm a big. I'm a longtime Feature supporter. I've been there. We had some fun times in Las Vegas for New Year's a few years back. Okay. You had some fun times in Las Vegas with DJ Tiesto at. That was shot a feature. You guys talk about you guys talk about your um what trip do you the Malaysia trip the Malaysia yeah. trip yeah that the was old, your version of the Malaysia trip. Well, now that you bring it up, now that you bring did it he up, get you like fist pumping? Were you in like? <laughs> let me just say, talk about uh, the yeah, Vegas yeah, nights I know we have to get. I know we have to get to yeah. It was in feature Las Vegas, it in um. It was four years ago. I know we had to get the sneaker news, but mm-hmm. the best thing to come out of that trip, besides mm-hmm. the access, you went to Benihana. No, the access to Tiesto for a club. Uh, I think it might have been Encore or something. He like had all of us in the VIP. Mm-hmm. He had Which da- is not unfamiliar for you. No, this was different though. This okay. was three people, mm-hmm. like his manager, his friend, and then the sneaker shopping crew in the VIP, like from. The Did Dave Matthews pri- have the glow stick? Hold out? on, hold on. A <laughs> private room, and I have the most classic photo of Dave Matthews in shell shock. <laughs> that hopefully he, he said, approves. This isn't the Lyris's lounge. That he, <laughs> this isn't a New Yorkian poets club. <laughs> that hopefully he approves <laughs> from him in the club with Tiesto. Yeah. Were you at a, Joe? Were you at like a foam party or something? I mean, it was a Tiesto. <laughs> it was a Tiesto date in the summer. Yeah. Like crazy club and i just remember like um i remember i think it was around the time maybe of god's plan mm-hmm. and like um tiesto i think was doing a lot of edm sets mm-hmm. yeah and he, he still does but tiesto he, it was an edm set and then like i heard god's plan i was like oh he's about to do a hip-hop and then it just uh, he's about to do like a hip-hop playlist yeah like for the next like half hour and then god's plan exactly exactly (laughs) it it was like that but when i tell you i have the when i tell you i have the best Mm -hmm. dave matthews reaction photo we need that it's like it's purple we got to put it in hopefully hopefully he approves it but uh (laughs) yeah shouts to shouts to feature you got i remember you got me those vans the yeah okay so 
Welty, you've entered the raffle at Feature. Yes. For the GPS, so Tom Sachs shoe, the brown shoe. If you want to just rig the raffle. Oh, my God. No, no. Don't rig the raffle. He needs a, he needs yeah. to really experience what but it's really, like buying did, sneakers did, in 2023. A fair shot. Um, yeah. I, I, I hope you win. I want the shoes. Okay. I hope you win. Thank Would you. you buy them on resale? Uh, depend. I, I guess it depends what the resale price of it is. You yeah. Know? Um, as, as we've talked about recently, it doesn't seem like many shoes go for much over retail that much so yeah. you never recently know. or or gps uh recently shoes shoes in general it's hard to uh, 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 save from like a travis scott or like a lost and found jordan <laughs> one it feels like it's you're hard pressed to find a shoe that well, released for 120 that's going for like 750 yeah. recently we'll get to that in a little bit can i say one other thing about drake since you did mention him yes you're all over these um good <laughs> the, the the scuba shoes, yeah. the, the 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 flippers, the Drake Nocta. Uh, tell you, go ahead. You know, what, are those flippers? Is that is yes. that the right word for them? Is it yes, fins. Yeah, fins. I mean, I think the Nocta Nike collection has been a little bit hit or miss, but I love the fact that they made this. I don't know if it's like what, not what do you as think the R and D to that product. <laughs> I want to know. I, thing, I, I'm begging people at Nike and, and people on Drake's team to let me interview some people about this because. I I just want to know how and why this happened, well, and I'm had, not mad at it. He had done a bunch of like recent Instagram ish or posts on Instagram, I think mm -hmm. a couple months ago, where he was at some Caribbean location. Yeah, where, I think like, it's like a Turks and Caicos type of where, thing. Where like there was like a girl who was a bartender there. They was a model that he had kind of taken a bunch of photos with. So maybe yeah. that's the vibe. Damn, you on the Drake Doing Things account? <laughs> Sheesh. I don't even know what I that is. I need to see Yachty on a jet ski Yachty's with these on. Yachty's been in the Nocta campaign already, though. He I, crushed I, it. But but it would make sense because, remember, he was wearing the shoe goo dunks that our dear friend Alex Diamond designed. Yes, on the and so I feel like this would be a good uh, moment of atonement for him if he's wearing proper footwear on the jet ski, which would be none other than Free Idea Nike, the Nocta. Fins would be tough scuba. on a jet ski. But is that not... No. That's not appropriate? Is there going to be anyone you think that tries to wear these casually? <laughs> oh, tell my you, God. The sound, oh, no. No, not casually, but <laughs> listen, Warren Finn, like, let's, let's, let's go back to one, like, you okay. put on fins or flippers. Mm -hmm. You felt like you were Thanos in those when you, when you <laughs> swam underwater with fins. <laughs> Can I get Aquaman? Sure, Aquaman. Yeah, but like they made you go. Fins, yeah, flippers, make they you... were a necessary accessory oh in the Bay Shore summers. In a pool, it's just like, oh, can I swim the length? You know, I used to do feats of strength for my myself, so it, I would be what? like, what do you mean? Well, how long can I hold my breath on the water? And you like, were trying to impress. If there was the a pool, you know, shouts to shouts to call my Martino, uh, R.I.P. Yes, across the street, he had the yeah. pool, and I would always be like, listen. I know I could do there underwater. Mm -hmm. Can I go there and back? And then it became like a feat of strength. Like, well, let's see how far. And, yeah. you know, you like psych yourself up. This is me like by myself in the pool. Uh -huh. And like, oh, I could go there and back. And then like you put flippers on. I could have went, you know, there, back, and there again. Yeah, no big deal. So you're getting Easy. a pair of these. I don't know because <laughs> the Martinos don't live there okay. anymore. The Martinos don't live across the street anymore. Okay, okay. I don't know. But. Wow, we're really slow playing the real news, though. <laughs> one, more, one more slow play thing. This is not real news, but I did go to the last day of 21 Mercer. Man of his Nike word. Nike lab. Man of his word. Hung out there. It was a desolate scene. The streets were blocked off for an unrelated reason. There was no line outside the stadium because the whole, it felt like the whole 
radius was quiet really? in, in memoriam or you know in tribute or something like that surprised you didn't like stage a shot of like Did you buy anything like the lebron powder in the air you know? <laughs> there Just was in the middle i don't think you could really buy anything at the hour i went by they had some shoes that were still on the shelf and we'll put a photo up here but i i didn't purchase anything there was yeah it was it was very barren there so that's the end of that I am hopeful that Nike figures out a yep. new version of, of something like 21 Mercer and what that was because I do think it's a necessity and I do still enjoy physical sneaker retail spaces, brick and mortar. So, Of course. Was that, was that a huge brick they didn't have? Speaking of Drake, Drake and 21 Savage perform. At 21 Mercer? Mm-hmm. At the 21 and then just 21, can you do something for me? <laughs> <laughs> to close it down it. in style? I can yeah. see it. Yeah. Huge miss, Nike. <laughs> Nike, what were you thinking? <laughs> Joe, did you enjoy the Cortez Air Max ninety five rollout? I did. Is that the correct pronunciation? I don't. I don't know. It's Cortez. Yeah. I hope so. I'm pretty sure. It was. Um, it was good. Yeah. It was good. They brought back the infamous clip. Yes, from sneaker they shopping. changed the call out. They changed the call out. I thought it was well done. Yeah. Did you guys like it? I. I mean, that shoe to me is awesome. You like the Cortez 95 a lot? Yeah, it reminds me of the Monster Air okay. Max 95s. Nice reference. Or the Iguana Air Max 95s. Mm-hmm. One of the two. Uh, I, think they're... I think there's some more colorways coming, too. Yeah. I like it, too. I am not that big of a fan. It would go. I feel like it would go great with what you have on. Oh, maybe I'll get a pair, then. No, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't love it. I feel like I need an Air Max 95 to be in suede or Nubuck. A leather 95 is a little bit of a tough sell for me, but I want to see more of the shoes, and I want to see the other colorways that are coming. I'm excited for it. Me All too. Right. I thought the I thought it was, I thought it was rolled out. That that was a good idea. It, just because like, to do it to do to use that clip in, from sneaker shopping. No, yeah, but but in a it was like. A very subtle way to do it yeah where like you see that clip it goes up all the time but like to tweak it like that and you're the 95 guy too so oh appreciate that wow. <laughs> and like uh to like tweak it with the call out that looked like we did it yeah i thought it was good and i think everyone had a really good response to it so yeah yeah i mean looks pretty i like that okay can we get to the important stuff no sorry not that um the before we get here. off 95 yeah okay i uh Oh my sorry, god! Sorry, 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 sorry. calling? I get a spam call. Who sorry. is it? I didn't... I'm just kidding. I'm like, you don't have to say. <laughs> well, they just got a call right now. You don't have sorry. to say sorry. No, no, no. It, it got, happens. Like, I, you get one of those unknown. Yeah, you're popular. Khaled said, if, "If the phone ring, it doesn't matter. We're in high demand. That's what it is. Don't say it's spam. <laughs> say it's someone. Leave it in. Leave it yeah. in. Leave it in. Asking about the Otani announcement. Um, but I finally got. The Coral Studios 2.0 on the oh, way. Oh, this is a huge moment for you. I was inspired by the, the night. I was in a long time. Yep. Yes, I was. That's in- crazy because I was actually just thinking that. Really? When you mentioned 95, I was like, back in my head, I was like, should I make a joke about, did you finally get the, the 2.0? And then. I did. And I was like, you know, I'm wearing 95s today. Mm-hmm. And I was like, inspired by the 95 talk this weekend. And I acquired that. Yes. Good. I'm glad to hear. Yeah, I'll wear them on here. Checking that off the list. Yep. Can we check some more stuff off the list? Let's go. Tiffany, Nike Air Force One. The shoe is dropping on March 7th in sizes three and a half men's to 18 men's. I don't know who's getting 18. Uh, retails for $400 USD. The release will be available at two Tiffany & Co. New York City locations, the flagship next door, and then Tiffany & Co. Soho. Also on Nike sneakers app, select partner retail stores and Nike North America. There's some accessories that go with. Mm. Sorry, the accessories go within the collection, but they're actually sold separately. There's a 
silver shoehorn, a whistle, the toothbrush, the Dubray. I think the accessories are better than the actual shoe. And I think that the rollout, when it said a legendary pair, you know, we saw that on Sunday, yeah. them kind of teasing it. That was the New York Times, right? Yeah, the ad in the Times. You know, I think the ads that Tiffany have posted, the photos of like the toothbrush uh, in the in the glass cup, and it says don't don't, for, don't forget the tongue or something like that. I feel like the rollout around the shoe has been really good, and I I like the accessories. I feel like everything but the actual shoe is good. Well, it's like it's funny to see people like because the the retail price is four hundred dollars. Four hundred dollars. Yeah. That's a hundred percent confirmed. Yeah, seems okay. like it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, it is. Okay, so the re- the retail price is four hundred dollars. People are upset about that right because mm-hmm. i feel like if it was a just say there was nothing special on the shoe per se mm-hmm. and it was just a tiffany air force one that shoe is at least like in my mind like 250 dollars plus just for in being terms a, of how much nike is going to charge for it already yeah it's because you, you know when they do the high fashion collaborations it hardly ever comes in at like the standard mm-hmm. retail, retail price, price yeah. or even the adjusted collaboration like 20 dollars yeah. more price and there is the the tiffany silver right yeah hit on the back and which they're pe- going to charge more for yeah so they're going to charge more for it and people are like why is this shoe four hundred dollars and i'm not justifying it mm. but why isn't it four hundred dollars yeah. you know based on what we know about nike's retail prices and how much tiffany is going to charge for a, an accessory the the retail price makes sense but i'm not i'm, I'm no, not no i'm not them. i'm not there for it yeah 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 but people are upset that it doesn't come with Come with the Dubray. Yeah, the Dubray, you know, the lace lock, the mm-hmm. silver Tiffany. A lot of people were like, why didn't they just put this on the actual shoe? And I was uh, tweeting about the sneakers this morning, and, and a lot of people were making a joke of like, oh, it's like there's DLC for the sneaker now. You know, like you have to buy all this additional stuff to actually make this. Yeah, make this a cool project. Like, I, I, I wish that the $400 version came with some of that cool stuff, but that's that's not enough of a price based on Tiffany prices and Nike prices. I don't like the sneaker that much. I think this is a bit too far in terms of luxury sports where I think we've seen some good projects of that sort in the past few years. I think Nike Louis Vuitton is the best one. Adidas Gucci is good. Dior Jordan is whatever. But that formula is starting to feel a little bit stale. And the Tiffany Air Force One in terms of the actual shoe, the actual design, just isn't that exciting to me? couple thoughts. One, I disagree that the accessories are the best. Okay. I think the box... The Tiffany shoe box. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree with, with that, the paper. That's yeah. the illest part. Okay, okay. This big Tiffany shoe box, and if I'm looking, who knows if it's? It seems like it's you know these images. Tiffany, sh- like the paper in the shoe, yeah. is the best part. Okay. Next thing, would you guys? I think we've talked about it. I think maybe a nice kind of HTM type leather mm-hmm. with the Tiffany swoosh. That's what you'd rather see. I think so, but here's what I would say. Would you guys have rather it be an all Tiffany blue shoe? No. Would you guys rather it be 75% all Tiffany or or what? Because I know that you always, and you guys always say, and I think a lot of people feel this way, when you have a chance at a collaboration and you just do a lot of black, it's underwhelming. Yeah, sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I feel like that. I would ask, like, not that you guys, you know, I know you've designed shoes. Yeah. We're, we're, I'm working on it. <laughs> but what would you have, like, is there one thing in your head that, like, for me, it would have been like, oh, you know, some, like, HTM type of shiny leather, maybe? Yeah. I maybe? Mean, but, like. Something with a little more sheen, a little more shine, yeah. I, 
I guess I would feel I, I I guess I feel that I don't know if I would have loved it if they did a lot more Tiffany Blue on this. Okay, that's that's kind of just how I what, like where everyone's talking about like oh, there's not a lot on it. Um, I'm not sure if I would want a lot more. Okay, I, I think the other thing is that, and we've spoken about this before the podcast, but. The shoe, no matter what, is not going to eclipse the original unauthorized Tiffany Nike, the Diamond Dunk yeah. SB from 2005. But which shoe is 10, 20 in history, maybe? Personally? Mm-hmm. Maybe? It, it's funny. I saw... Um, the Tiffany Diamond Dunk You're for saying me, a top 10, no. top 20 shoe ever for you? Oh, yes. Yeah. It, it's, Easily. It's funny that we're like so far down the sneaker head continuum at this point and this is people are gonna be like oh this is old head gatekeeping no it's not go ahead no, shut boy. up go ahead um we need an alert every time no, just, <laughs> if, if you don't know something about shoes just like sit back and soak it up yeah. and like don't call someone who's actually just talking about an important shoe that informs the shoe now get a gatekeeper yeah, it's just head. history it's just history you don't call people who wrote history books as gatekeepers or whatever. They're just rewriting whatever. C- carry on. Yeah. So um, I saw there was a post on Twitter. Some random sneaker account goes, which one would you want? And they put the Air Force One on top and the Dunk on the bottom. And a lot of people. The Air Force One? Said the Dunk. But there was a lot of people like, oh. They didn't even say the Air Force One. Like, oh, the top's more fire. And they, because they don't even know what the. But that's okay. What, I know it's it is, I get it, but it's just so like this. Maybe this goes back, and I know there was a lot of discussion over the weekend about um, the social clip we did on the Nike voting process, yeah. where it's like taking good shoes versus not great shoes, mm. and like trying to put them in context. And it's so weird to have people make a judgment call on which is better without knowing any sort of like context. Yeah, behind the story, it's almost like showing two athletes not knowing that one is like Leo Messi and one's just like some guy who plays rec league soccer and then you're like yeah but that's yeah, but so they much don't more care. objective they don't like, care the though. sneaker stuff is so much more subjective so yeah I, they I, don't I, care like about the history honestly but the history behind the shoe is real yeah yes. but I don't oh a thousand percent we love we we're love not the just like, we're not just saying but personal also, opinion that diamond yeah, dunk yeah, yeah. was but, like but don't you think like you could forego the history and like a younger Look Kid, at them in a vacuum. Just be like, oh, I like this one better. No, I trust me. I, I get I get mm-hmm. that. But it's just weird sometimes to just almost like it almost feels like erasure sometimes. Yeah. Or because so much of the work we try and do is to educate people on that history. So when you see someone who doesn't necessarily know, it's like, wait, what have we been doing for the past 10, 15 years? It's almost years? like you <laughs> failed at like everything that you've done in life. <laughs> oh, it was like your mission, wow. your mission out here was to get to a point where the Tiffany, the Tiffany Air Force One releases and the Tiffany Dunk releases. And then all of a sudden when it happens, yeah, or, or the shoe had released, sorry, the Tiffany Dunk had released. And they don't understand what the yeah. shoe is. And you're just like, I failed you. Yes. <laughs> Um, I'm taking the Tiffany SB Dunk every time. I mean, um, well I mean, documented. You know where you know where I stand on the oh, Tiffany. Yeah. I mean, Diamond you, Dunk. You quoted Hove, right? Yeah, I did in the Slack. But I like I don't I mind. What did you say? I sampled your voice. You were using it wrong. But I I don't mind these at all. I like these. I'm probably. I think they're fine. I, I just p- don't think they're that exciting. And again, I think everything around the shoe, the rollout, the accessories, the images are better than the actual shoe. 
Ah, oh, man, do you wish they had, would it have made the shoe for you if they somehow recreated the Tiffany kid moment? <laughs> with, with... To me, I, no, I already like the, the ads around it. The Tiffany kid doesn't fit in here. I don't think everything separate, from the Diamond I'm separating Dunk project a lot of fits this. in here. I know it's connected. I mean, I know that yeah. you, you, you're like really bullish on it being connected, which of course, like Tiffany, you know, the first thing you sneaker head, but I am, I'm separating it a little bit. Okay. I just feel like. You don't get to this point. Yes, if that sh- if the diamond dunk never happened, I agree with that. I'm not, I'm not saying a Tiffany Nike collaboration wouldn't have happened, mm-hmm. but we wouldn't be sitting here having this whole long conversation about if it. If that didn't exist, if that didn't exist, yeah. like right, pe- and would, the, but the, that's the different. The official than- version makes a lot less sense if the diamond dunk never existed. That's what. That's what all I'm trying to say is that that when that shoe got posted and teased on Instagram, mm-hmm. and then there's all this excitement about it. It's not just because. People in the sneaker world just love the brand Tiffany so yeah. much, which a lot of people do. It's because there's a precedent. It's because they're one of the greatest shoes of all time. Yeah. Inform this. Yes. Okay. That's can we all. can we move on? I I'm happy to keep talking about this, but we have so much to talk about, and we have great yeah, guests to get yes. to as well. Next last week, Nike sued Bape over the Bapestas over a handful of models that they say look a lot like Nikes, and we all know we can all transparently say all those shoes. Are based on popular Nike silhouettes. There was like a, a there was like a dunk. There's the dunk yeah. They look. have a dunk looking sneaker. They have an Air Jordan One style sneaker. The Bapesta, of course, been around for 20 years now. Is very clearly a Nike Air Force One ripoff. Nobody can say otherwise. Mm. I can't believe we finally got to this point where Nike is suing Bape. I didn't think this would ever happen. Mm. I think in a, just to, I think I'd put it out there that I feel like it, it was almost like a. I want to say a necessary evil mm-hmm. that I don't want to see a world that Nike sues Bape, yeah. right? I don't wish a Nike lawsuit on anyone. Yes, okay, put it, put that out there. But if Nike has been suing everyone, mm-hmm. Cool Kai, John Geiger, Warren Lotus, then why does Bape get the pass? Yeah, which I, you tweeted about, and like that's what people would say when these lawsuits started rolling right. out. Right, every time more, somebody gets sued, it'd be like, what more about recently, Bape? what about Bape? Mm-hmm. I my, I, I know what you mean, Welty, and I think that to some extent when you have intellectual property, you have to kind of defend it universally like that, and you have to make sure that you uh, swat down anybody who's trying to profit off of your intellectual property and the trademarks that you own, which Nike owns the trademarks for these designs. But I felt like Bape had earned its place in sneaker culture and had yeah, established so mm-hmm. much. And to me, I felt like Bape was safe. And also... Everybody else at Nike is suing as part of a current wave. You know, Warren Lotus, Cool Kai, John Geiger. It's a trend that they're trying to nip in the bud at this point. Yeah, and it, it feels like a second or third wave thing off of what Bape did. And the Bape and the Bapes that to me were, you know, very foundational to sneaker culture and streetwear in the 2000s. And so to me, it felt like, again, they were protected in some way. Now, we know that's not the case because for the first time it's been made public through the lawsuit that Nike met with Bape in 2009 and said hey, you aren't allowed to pirate our materials like this. And uh, Nike sent them a letter last year warning them uh, Mm. about intellectual property infringement. So, um, again, I I didn't think we'd get to this point. I think there's a lot of interesting details. I mean, even – you guys know I'm obsessed with sneaker lawsuits, so I could go on about this for the next hour. I promise not to. But even like the 2009 meeting is super interesting because people have always speculated, oh, did did Nike – ever have a, a legal issue with Bape that that just didn't come to light publicly and now we know that they met with them back then. But if you look at the lawsuit, Nike actually secured the trademark 
for for the Air Force One in 2008, and the very next year they, they sat sued. down with Bape, and you know they didn't sue them, but they said yeah. like, you guys can't be doing this stuff. So I, I have to wonder, and this is speculation, mm -hmm. but did they secure that trademark that year in part because they saw Bape as uh, as as a continuing threat and something that would hmm. grow well, you, more and more? You'd also kind of put out a conspiracy yeah. theory to And it's important extent. to mark, you know, it, like, it's also funny we, too we can because put conspiracy theories out as long as we mark them. If, if you're speculating, just I, I, please I, say you're speculating. I was surprised to see that because what I, know, is it? I, know, I, I know you're usually the last person to want to entertain yeah. conspiracy theories when yeah. it comes to sneakers, but you had said that your uh, conspiracy was, or maybe feeling was that- They had friend, right? They didn't sue Bape because Hiroshi, who was this. part of HTM with Nike CEO Mark Parker mm -hmm. and Tinker Hatfield, was friends with yeah. Nigo. I mean, Nigo gets his name from his appearance being similar to Hiroshi Fujiwara. Like, his name comes from, you know, the nickname Hiroshi Fujiwara Nigo because he looked like Hiroshi and came up under Hiroshi. So that's how close they were. But I actually think that conspiracy theory is not super well-informed after, like, mm -hmm. reflecting on it and some people reaching out to me. I didn't realize this, but... I think that Nigo and Hiroshi actually haven't been friends for the past, oh. like, you know, 14 years at least, which maybe that aligns with the 2009 time. If you look it up, I don't really think they've appeared in photos together since around 2009. I think that there's still a possibility that before then, Hiroshi's close connections with Nike may have protected Nigo to an extent, but total speculation, total conspiracy yep. theory. I don't know that. How do you think this one plays out? Well, I mean, I think we'll see some familiar moves in the immediate future, I think Nike will probably seek a temporary restraining order, as they often do, where they ask the court to bar the defendant from selling the allegedly infringing items. I think they'll probably go for a preliminary injunction after that. Um, I do think that it'll just settle eventually. I mean, Nike had to settle with much smaller designers mm -hmm. when they're doing this, because if you think about it, too, like, sorry, I'm droning on again. No, I could keep no, going. Keep but, going. like, I feel like they've been leveling up their litigation over the past few years where the first big one to me was Warren Lotus, mm -hmm. and then they start going after John Geiger, who feels like he has a bigger operation than Warren Lotus did with respect to shoes, and Cool Kai, and now they're at Bape, which is a legitimate 30-year-old company, has way more resources than these other people to defend well, Bape, itself. You had mentioned, too, because you wrote a story, mm -hmm. where I think one of the, the most important things to mention was, you know, Bape started off as, like, this independent brand yeah. owned by Nego, but then they got purchased by, and I forget the name. IT. Yes, the yeah. the... the, the um, Hong Kong, like the Hong Kong like holding, like holding, 2011, yeah, which is like a considerable, sizable, yeah, company that it doesn't seem like. Obviously, it's not on the level of Nike, but right. tangling with a company of that size is a much different, yeah, yes. than than tangling with a John Geiger yes. or Warren Lotus or Cool Kai. And I say that to say, I would imagine this thing settles just like the others because if if they Quicker. could only settle with with Quicker. the smaller companies, um. Or you're not. I don't know. It depends. Tell. I, mean, tell. I think they'll they'll come to an agreement where Bape has to change its shoes back to look less like Air Force Ones. And there was a period of time in the mid-2010s where they were making Bape studs starting in 2016 that didn't look that much like Air Force Ones. And Nike notes this in the lawsuit and says that... There's like a weird line that goes through yeah, the Yeah, and, and nobody likes that shape because we like them because they look like Air Force Ones. And Nike was basically saying in this period of time, we weren't that concerned with them. Hmm. And also the lawsuit has a lot to do with Bape's business in the U.S. where basically... The way Nike puts it is after they sold in 2011, Nigo officially steps down around that time. Yeah. He's out of the brand by 2013 that they weren't doing a lot of business in the U.S. for most of that decade. They're basically saying that starting in 2021, Bape's doing way more business in the U.S. They're planning to expand. They're selling the shoes again. The shoes look more like the Air Force Ones than they have in recent years. 
and now we have to sue. We're forced to sue. Do you, do you think in I feel like I'm in court TV. He's not, he's not even looking at his notes. Do you feel like it's not even a teleprompter? This may be another uh, conspiracy or just maybe a feeling. The fact that to some extent over the past years that like BAPE has essentially kind of been almost like a surrogate of Adidas. What that, do you mean? That like it almost feels like there's like an actual like partnership between the two brands. Why? How so? Just in terms of how frequently like, they product? collaborate? Yeah, it feels like there would never be, like, not because the shoes just look like it, but there would never be a Bape-Nike collaboration because... Yeah, for sure. Like, there's, like, it's not just, like, a collaboration, and I don't know the, yeah. the, the legalities of it, but it feels like there's an actual, like, contract of... I don't know. I mean, the other thing that's interesting is Bape has done sneaker collaborations with pretty much every other brand. There's Bape Reeboks, there's Bape Adidas, there's Bape Pumas. Mm -hmm. There was a Bape New Balance project last year that we talked about, right? So oh, yeah. it, it's kind of funny too that Bape has worked with pretty much everybody except Nike and we know now that that's probably never gonna happen. Seems like it. Again, maybe maybe we'll drop a different special where I just talk for three hours about he could uh, go the Bape lawsuit. <laughs> How much time you got, because he could go off. Give, give him your laptop and you can pull up Pacer. And just That's like, it. Ah, That's it. The Came in prepared. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. But They'll settle. That's my prediction. Same. Total prediction. All right. Should we bring on our guest? Yes. Big, big one today. Our guest on today's podcast had a 26-year run at Adidas where what started out as a gig in the mailroom progressed into holding the title of brand president for over five years. During his two-and-a-half-decade run, he was directly responsible for every facet of the footwear business as it related to the three stripes, including spearheading the marketing, commerce, design, and driving sustainability. He was also front and center for the NMD and Boost Boom, remixing the classics and signing key endorsers like Kanye West, Beyonce, and Pharrell Williams. Today, he continues his focus on making 100% sustainable products with his new streetwear brand, Unless Collective. Here to talk about his storied career in footwear and apparel is Eric Lidke. Eric, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Great to be here. Thanks for having How me. How are you doing? Great. Great. Thanks. I had enjoying the, my time back in the city. Nice. What a treat. What's that? Uh, what a treat to have you. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I, I, you know, we said this when, when Todd came on. It's always a pleasure when the real execs who really run this industry can come and sit with us. Well, I no longer am one of those guys, but I'm happy to talk about my time. You've seen a lot. Yeah. You've seen a lot. And, and, you know, just reading things like you touched every, you know, I said in the intro, but you touched every part of for so long, two decades and a half of uh, Adidas, you, you, you basically were involved in every big major kind of like responsibility. So must, you know, happy to dig into the history for sure. It was a lot of fun. It was like I, I felt like a kid in a candy store. I knew early on when because I, I came out of school from Wisconsin, go Badgers, um, and uh, you know went to advertising in Detroit. You know, I was like miserable every day. You know, sick to your stomach Sunday nights, not wanting to go back. Yeah. Sounds like working in the sneaker blog industry. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized that if I'm not thinking about sports, doing sports, or haven't haven't done sports, I'm not fun to be around. So I focused my efforts on that and. Met a guy named Rob Strasser, um, and uh, the rest is history. So fell in love with the whole industry. And unfortunately, Rob passed right before I started Adi. But uh, yeah. I want, I want to talk more about that, and especially Rob Strasser. That's an important yeah. one. But before we get there, I want to talk about the sneakers we have on, because yes. yours especially are important. So Welty, <laughs> what do you have on feet? Uh, were these over the weekend? I think I've maybe worn these on here before. But these are the DTLR 992s. I like them a lot. Those are good. Talked a lot of Air Max 95s. Um, doing the OG colorway, the neon. Great shoes. Okay. Since we do have an Adidas veteran here, yes. I thought, I thought, I guess y'all didn't think that it would be appropriate 
to to pay tribute and wear an we're going to tribute sneaker. the whole. You're, we're going to tribute <laughs> the Albrecht well, Speziale. It's it's not it. only. It, yeah, we need someone less collective. We mentioned it. We mentioned it all, the majority of the Adidas shoes I've got in the past year. They don't fit anymore. So. <laughs> oh, what happened? I don't know. I talked. I actually talked to someone at Adidas uh, recently who works on like the sizing program, and somehow they like screwed up the lasts on a lot of the Is this a real thing? Because he's been complaining. He's got a campaign going for the past year or so. And obviously you've been gone from Adidas for yes. three and a half years now or so. But Wealthy is saying that the sizing over there is all wonky. Well, first of all, there's numerous lasts. Like whether you're talking about a running last, a basketball last, it was, a it originals was, last. It, sorry, it was in the, the reproduction of retro product. Yeah, they might be fine-tuning the last for a variety of reasons. I mean, some of that's done on it's it's done based on robust fit testing, though. So it wouldn't be done just half-heartedly. So when somebody says they they fucked it all up, I would I would question that. I mean, Adidas is a lot of things, but they don't they take the engineering of product very seriously. Yeah, we had to bring out the Brannock device for him <laughs> no. numerous times. I mean, I own, it's right there. It's I actually own, on the Adidas box. I coincidentally, I own hundreds of pairs of Adidas shoes. So yeah. I have a general feeling of how yeah. yeah but he was the president of the brand yeah, yeah. yeah. Of but, I, but I, I would i would just say like listen I've, I've always been a size us 12 and adidas in every category i've yeah. worn it's been tradition it's been like a new bounce has run short on me it's like it's always a it's always a question of fit so i'd be surprised if you took like an nmd r1 and you said you tried on the s1 and well, they it wasn't fit it wasn't it wasn't that because i know those shoes they tend to have a lot of stretch in them but it was it was a reproduction of um it was the kerwin frost bounce shoe that shoe like didn't fit at all it was like it was like a whole size small. It was like hmm. it fit like a size ten, and I wear 11, 11 and a half, and it was just it just didn't. Fit. Yeah, that's that it, seems like a a mistake. And then, it shouldn't change that dramatically. And then um, the Supernova cushion, another shoe that got like re released, and that shoe didn't fit as well. And I had talked to someone at Adidas, and they said it had something to do with like them trying to find old lasts with all the licensing programs and all this stuff and bringing things in yep. and trying to standardize it in somewhere along when, the When they remake a shoe, like when it goes from yeah. a sport, like yeah. a supernova, yeah. when it goes from a high-end performance yeah. running shoe, then it gets picked up by the originals guys yeah. because of the, the dad shoe trend and what yeah. have you. Yeah, they're going to put it on the originals last, which they've, they're, they're going to change it from an original, a, yeah. a, a running performance last, mm -hmm. which will fit one way, to a originals running last and that would that's that but that should not be a size different oh, that should it, be maybe a little width difference no maybe but it was a, a full bit. size difference yeah like, that's that seems highly concerning but i can't uh i can't comment much further <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's not, yeah. not your problem yeah. anymore <laughs> good luck with that yeah. exactly but yeah. you know what fit like a glove mm -hmm. unless collective Ooh. oh yeah <laughs> what well, do you that, have on that's what i'm wearing right now the first uh 100 plant-based uh plant and mineral-based shoe um called the degenerate so um, love to talk to you guys more about that, but I understand one thing after another. But yeah, it's uh, it's um, been a passion play of mine for the last I don't know six years. Yeah. And making something 100% plants without any petrochemicals whatsoever has been fantastic, and uh, yeah, we were able to get get it through and launched last week or last month, and uh, more volumes are on. I'm happy to say we sold out of our first you know small wow. nice. small volumes Congrats. without any advertising and just kind of word of mouth in the industry. And now we're bringing in some volumes and start to ramp up our media efforts, which is what brings me here today. Were you were you always an Adidas guy growing up before you worked for the brand? Or no, I grew up I, I grew up in the '70s, so Adidas, Puma, Nike were you know my three main main plays. And I was a swimmer, so then you got mm. to throw in speedo and arena and some of those things, but not on the feet. Are you still a swimmer? You could get the Drake uh, knock the fins. <laughs> we were just yeah, talking. those were cool. <laughs> yeah, we those. Were talking about I, I don't yeah. know about walking around in those, but I kind of I appreciate. It. Like if you watch the the Eddie Classic, I'm I'm, I'm a oh, yeah, they, surfer. They just had it in Hawaii. I yeah. was I was there when they were. I was going to go up to the North Shore, but then they canceled it the next day, and then the, the next week they actually. Yeah. 
But if, anyway, a lifeguard if, if, you watch one, that, if, if you watch the lifeguards, they all have a variation of those flippers. They don't have yeah. the full flippers that you'd scuba dive in, but they have a, a, a half one. And then Drake took it all the way down to, you know, basically just a, a in, inspired by. Oh, so it's not. I don't think you, you could get much water moving with those things. Mm. But you could try. I, I don't know. I, I, Joe's going to try. I was going to try at the Martino's pool, but there you, you go. Yeah. But the Martino's pool would probably work. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't take it to the North Shore. <laughs> Were you inspired by? I know you said you're a swimmer. The early, I think it's the Mark Spitz moment where. Yeah. He had held up the, uh, I think it's like a pair of blue gazelles at the Olympics. Where that had nothing to do with my future career plans. It was all about Rob and Peter yeah. and, uh, and a friend of mine, Paul Gaudio. Tell us about Rob and Peter. Rob yeah, Strasser, listen, I, so, so, I, so I came out of school in 1990, University of Wisconsin, go Badgers, second time, so <laughs> <laughs> new head coach. Anyway, um, they, uh, you know, I came out of there and I, you know, I had a jur- journalism philosophy degree and there I couldn't write good enough to, to be a journalist and make, make any money, so I went into advertising, which mm-hmm. is what you do. Went to Detroit, quickly found out I didn't like selling flowers through advertising or being a suit, and, and uh, you know, quickly uh, found myself talking to all my friends about what, uh, what, what connects they might have with sport. A friend of mine growing up, Paul Gaudio, who ended up being creative director and head of futures mm-hmm. for Adidas with me and has come with me to, to Unless, he was working with Peter doing the first equipment product. Um, designing in Germany. And so he introduced me to Rob. Adidas CQT in the early 90s. Exactly, mm. exactly. Early 90s. We're talking 92 right now. And uh, and then he introduced me to Rob and uh, and Owen Clemens, who was Rob's assistant. And this is before email. This is before really cell phones. This is like back in like old school sn- snail mail. Mm-hmm. So I was writing letters every month trying to get in. It took me a year. Writing letters plus, to Rob Strasser. Writing letters to Rob Strasser. Did you know at that point his character because everybody who, who's, yeah. who's encountered Rob Strasser knows he's a fireball. Yeah, he's so a I, I read, really intense guy. I read a great book by his um, ex-wife at the time, mm-hmm. um, Julie Strasser, who was, uh, it was a, the story of Nike and the men who played there. Right. Yeah. Mm. And it was way before Snoo Do- Shoe Dog and everything else came out. And this one, you know, introduced me to Rob and Peter and the, and the, and the attitude, the, the, the personality, the volcano that was yeah. Rob, the rolling thunder as they called him. And fell in love with him. And after I read that book, I was like, I had to get a job there. That was mm. like my, my, my heart. And Paul was working with Peter and with Rob. And when Paul was brought back um, to work with Peter in Portland, you know, I, then I started to really ramp up my efforts. So it, was like, it, like, it took me about a year um, to get in. But when I did, I never looked back. And my first job was called Sweeper of Training. I think I was the second employee at the, uh, at the Jansen Building in Portland. And I sat right next to the mailroom and um, helped to do whatever I could to make things happen, which included, you know, Sundays, Sunday nights. Some one of the sweepers always had to come in and make sure the printer didn't jam, so we could have accurate reports the next day. Because again, before sweeper meaning you were literally sweeping the floors. Uh, sweeper, I think it was inspired. Yes, but I think it was inspired <laughs> by um, by the term in soccer back in the day. Oh, I've never heard okay. it used. A sweeper that like yeah. is, I played sweeper. It's like position. the last line of defense. Yeah. There you I go. Think, I think it's, that's it's, where it came from. Again, Rob coined yeah. it. You know, I thought you were actually cleaning the floor. Sweeper that sweepers did everything, okay. and, and, and yeah. including, <laughs> including Sunday all-night duty, making sure the printer didn't jam so we could have our, our sales reports uh, on yeah. everybody's desk uh, from Spartanburg. So it was, uh, it was, it was great. It was, it was like a startup mode. It was. I think I joined the company. It was less than $100 million in, in the U.S. at the time, and it was, uh, it was uh, learning by drinking out of the fire hose. Yeah. Back in the mailroom days, was it you know was there anyone that came through the building that like you were like wow this is actually happening or like any like any like cool stories that you remember when you were like at literally on the ground level? I mean, I, I think back in those days, 
um, you know, I mean, I know they're making a movie now, but, you know, Sonny Vaccaro would come through quite often. Uh, you know, Peter was the president, which, you know, as a creative director, being also the president, then he mm-hmm. brought in a guy named Steve Wynn, and that was, uh, you know, mixed results, I think, um, as far as his, you know, cultural relevance. But I think, you know, Sonny would come in and talk about Rob. Rob had passed in, Jan- in October 93. Mm-hmm. I started in January 94. So when I came in, there was still this kind of, you know, mourning period for yeah. losing such a presence in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, and Peter was trying to head on as best he could, and then he brought in Steve. So I think Sonny is probably the biggest personality that came through. And then, of course, Kobe followed him mm-hmm. and Tracy followed him. So it's like there was then a, these these young guns coming up. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I still have a basketball where Kobe signed it, Kobe Bryant. Wow. Before, <laughs> so wow. somewhere in my in my collection in, in, in the house. So it's, a, it's just an interesting little tidbit of like, Kobe didn't sell, sign Kobe Bryant very long. Yeah. Were you in those conversations at all, no. or, or were you junior was, enough at the company? I was where... delivering sales reports yeah. to the right desk. So <laughs> I was I was in training. So I was ta- I was working with the guys um, trying to grow the training footwear and apparel business, um, primarily footwear, um, with Steve Castle and I at the time, who was a business unit manager. It was really just him and I. Mm-hmm. And then we started to staff up. But I would work directly with John Epstein, who was a legendary sales character, who worked, called here at Foot Locker in the building. Um, I would work with, you know, all the sales agencies and I'd go on big sales trips. And then, you know, back in those days, you would check in 15 bags of shoe full of shoes at the at the at the curbside mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, give the guy 20 bucks or whatever that to, to not to look the other way before we had regulations and just, you know, and meet the sales guys who pick you up in some big Tahoe or a sub- a Suburban and and off you'd go and start start knocking on doors. Wow. First presentations I ever did was at Champs to a guy named Tim Geis. I always remember. Was, what were the sneakers you were trying to sell in that period? Um, I was pretty proud. We we'd come up with this this uh, compelling concept of strong side and four point three, which were two shoes about you know in, in training. We called we didn't call ourselves cross training. Nike had kind of dominated yeah. that with mm-hmm. Bo at the time, and and uh, and uh, you know it was basically prime time. Um, so we came in with training for sport. So everything we did was about you know training for you know for speed or training for strength. And so instead of going down the the, the air the, the force flight type model, we went into four point three, which was the best forty. 40-yard time at the time, and strong side being strong side linebacker. So I was pitching those types of things. Yeah, 4.3 still makes a comeback once in a while. It was a pretty unique design, if you're familiar with it. But Did you feel in that moment like you were still in the sneaker wars? I mean, we think about sneaker wars and, uh, you know, when yeah. Nike and Reebok <laughs> were kind of really going at it in the 80s. When you got to Adidas and, and throughout the 90s, was Nike your intense rival? Was there hatred there? Were there trade secrets around there town? Was. There was. There was this... There was because everyone, you know, a good com- if you're competitive, which everybody in, in the industry was back then, everybody was an athlete or former athlete, you know, you have to take that on. And, and the big battles we were having weren't in basketball, but it was in soccer. Mm. Remember Nike had come out and, and very um, purposely claimed they were going to be number one in, in soccer by 1998, mm. and then they were going to be number one by 2000, then number one. So they kept throwing that out. And then there was a battle for the U.S. national team back in the day. Um, there was uh, Adrian Leak was running our running BU at the time, and Legend. Um, yeah, he would go after Alberto Salazar and the Hood to Coast. There was some classic. Uh, he would, Adrian. So there's Rose, a there's an Adidas team of Hood to Coast, and there's a Nike team yeah, of Hood to Coast. And, and Adrian would call ours Rolling Thunder, and then this is back when Salazar was sponsoring all of his athletes to come in, so they would really go like it was professional. And so Adrian would put his professional team against it, and so there were things like that. that I heard were much that, more local. I heard that there was one Hood to Coast. Sorry, this is like yeah. you're right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, right I know. I'm I, eating I, myself. I know, I'm like, we have 40 minutes on this, but uh, um, that Phil Knight 
had a helicopter and he was watching Hood to Coast from above to make sure that the Nike team was succeeding. I, I can't comment on <laughs> Phil Knight's activities. I, I did not you know didn't that. You see the helicopter above? I, I, like I do know that Salazar was very offended at some of the language we put on one of our vans about you know being drug free and things and, and contacted oh, and wow. reached, out, reached out to Adrian personally. And really? Said, You've gone too far. Yeah, Alberto so. Salazar got mad because you made a joke on your Adidas Hood to Coast van that maybe he was doping yeah. and or providing dope to his athletes. And, yeah, and, and we know like now. We know now that Adrian was probably was probably right, <laughs> <laughs> and also probably a lot of athletes across all the brands. Yeah, listen, dope, I'm, so. I'm, I'm not here to. I'm just saying, like that was kind. Of, you asked me about the rivalry, so I'm That's not here amazing. to comment on doping in sports. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the rivalry was there, and it was hometown, and, yeah. and and Peter and Rob both came from Phil's inner circle, so there was all of that background that was fun as a, as a, as a youngster growing up in the industry to be a part of and to to feel that vibe. So. I can't say like you know we had we had uh, Dion or anybody walking through the buildings, but we had uh, we had that, and and it was uh, yeah like you said it was a kid in a candy store for 26 years. You talk about soccer. I want to go back to it. Like Adidas, the roster of soccer players is so f- football players, yeah. yep. so impressive. Like, what do you think really like broke through for the endorsers? Like, talk about Beckham, who has like a lifetime deal. But what, what do you remember around like the soccer competition and like the high points of that? I, th- I think, you know, listen to me, Nike was very specific in their approach to soccer. They mm. knew how they took over football. They knew how they took over basketball. They knew how they took over running. So they're like, okay, we're going to spend and grab every up-and-coming athlete you could have. And, you know, and again, we're jumping around in time here. Yeah. But, you know, Beckham was the, the crown jewel in the Adidas, um, uh, um, you know, team for a long time. Um, and then we had Zizou come in with uh, Zinedine, and he, he, you know, so we, we had the, the preeminent players out there from a best in best in class. They then went and got everybody else. So they mm-hmm. went and they, they grabbed the Ronaldos, they grabbed yeah. the Neymars, they grabbed so the Roonies and things. So they started yeah. to really make sure they were they they you know they invested very smartly in their scout teams. They had robust you know they they. I, I would say and I can't comment for what they did or how they did. All I can do is from observing it as a yeah. competitor is that they had a lot of money to invest and they overspent on soccer for years and years and years, not just from a scout team, but developing athletes as they come up. And if you remember, Messi wasn't a Nike player, real early. Yeah. And we were able to get him out of there through legal battles and things like that. But we got him out when he was when he was just, just becoming a, the, the star that we now know him to be. Were you involved in that? I was not. I was not. I was a. I didn't go over and I didn't go. I was very U.S. focused yeah. until I jumped over in 2006, end of 2006, to backfill for Uli Becker after the infamous Reebok acquisition. Yeah. Was there like a lot of disconnect? Because um, you said being U.S. based and obviously Adidas being European based. I remember hearing stories. I mean, you talk about this era of Adidas. You know, it was the massive rebrand yeah. with Peter Moore getting rid of the trefoil. Not getting rid of it. But putting it to yes. to originals, yep. but I mean as the main branding of, of, the, of yeah, the yeah. of the company, and I remember hearing a story that you know back in like the eighties or the early nineties that uh, or the eighties that you know Horst Dossler didn't want to like release a lot of the Adidas product in the in the states. So when the nineties rolled around, there wasn't like you know an overflow of everything that the brand was creating that was releasing in the states. Did you feel like the disconnect? between the European and American side of yeah, the company I think at the time? I, I can't go way back in the, in yeah, the before yeah. my time. What I can tell you is that, you know, there's there was always an us versus them internally. Um, and I think that's a cultural thing. Like, you know, the the the, the, the 
the German-based employees, the headquarters wanted, you know, the U.S. to be, you know, to be disciplined and execute the plan, and the U.S. wanted to tell the Germans what to do all the time. So it was always like this, this back and forth. And I think if you look at the any company, any uh, there hasn't been a lot of successfully based German companies in the U.S. And I, you know, we can talk about Mercedes, we can talk about a few different ones, with BMW, Porsche, and all the mm-hmm. automotive. But I think there's always been a a bit of a, a hard, a hard, um, hard edge there because the Americans, as we are, we we always think we know best, and so it's it's very hard when you're not headquartered here to to drive the ship. And so it was one of the things I had to fix when I took over the role of um, in, on the board, the executive board role, to try to figure out how we can work together as a culture and, and point the guns out, as we used to talk about. So instead of at each other, how different did Adidas feel in the 2000s from the 90s? Just because I feel like. When when you came to Adidas in the 90s, it was, in terms of America, kind of a, a new, a fresh company. Do you feel like it had matured a significant amount by the time the 21st century rolled around? Like, what felt different in the business? Yeah, I think when I, when I started, it was, um, we were, you know, the brand had been basically um, in hibernation for a long time. And I think mm. Nike even famously calls it the, the sleeping dinosaur, the sleeping giant or whatever the expression was. But, mm. And I think what Peter and Rob were able to do was to ignite it a little bit. And mm-hmm. part of that was getting a lot of the creation and moved over to Portland. So, you know, they, they were able to make their own products for um, a lot of the categories, you know, originals and basketball and some of the other ones. Um, I think some of the categories did not move over like running and, and, uh, and some of those products. So there was a split creation center between Portland and between Herzog and Arc. And I think um, you could you could feel that tension, but it's still because the brand was waking up and because the brand was doing a lot of things that were were right to, as far as scaling the, the business. Um, we were we, we, we caught, you know, magic in a bottle and, and were able to grow um, unbelievably through the through most of the 90s up until you know the mid 2000s when things started to fall again what was that period like in terms of the the slowdown the, in the mid the 2000s gap? yeah very disappointing <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think i think what happened then is that i think we got to a size a certain size i i, I think that we were um trying to answer all things to all consumers and it was um, there's a lot of different you know when you're when you're growing that much the the Chinese uh, market wants something the the Brazilian market wants something else the the European market wants something the American market and if you don't have all that lined up as far as how you go to war with your with your with your um, with your product creation with your storytelling with your you know uh, advocacy it's difficult um, to line up so it was frustrating because not anybody was getting anything 100% what they wanted. So I think that led to um, a couple of different profit warnings mm. and some some investor turmoil and and some upheaval at the board, which you know brought me to the to the board. You talk about the low, but when did you feel like the moment was like the momentum was back? In when we well, so so when we came out of uh, so so basically like long story short is. Our, we had a, we had a strategic business plan that was written for 2015, and it was you know called 1711 was the handle that everybody would walk around. Everybody needs to understand what their strategic plan is, right? And 1711 was based on very numbers. Obviously, we talked about operators earlier mm-hmm. uh, before we came on the air. Um, so the 17 was, hey, let's get to 17 billion euros in sales, and let's get to 11% margin on the bottom line. Mm-hmm. It's great operational targets, and yeah. you need to have those. Yeah. But no one gets out of bed for that, mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. no one starts to get imaginative. Oh, well, this is a great story opportunity right. for us yeah. to really do something different. So that, you know, that um, combined with over-reliance on TaylorMade Golf as a group and over-reliance on Russia as a, as a sales channel and retail distribution led to a lot of issues that all of a sudden the, the, the bottom kind of fell out and mm-hmm. we had two profit warnings. And that's what I said, the, the board kind of needed to be reset. And that's when Herbert and the supervisory board appointed me to the, to the executive board member, Global Brands in America, the, you know, brand president. 
Um, and basically, Herbert said, hey, he gave me two great words of advice. He said, reset the brand and don't ask me for permission. Ask for my advice. And I think that's a great way to go into if you want to empower anybody to say, yeah. say those things, right? You know, you don't reinvent the brand. Don't, don't just reset it the way it needs to get. And, and don't ask for, for my permission. Ask for my advice. We had Stan Smith on the podcast and we had the conversation of when Adidas relaunched yep. the Stan Smith at like the end of 2013, 20, 2014. Yep. Um, I think it was January 2014 when the, the shoes came back out. But he had talked about, you know, the strategy at Adidas where they had ori- originally approached him and were like, we're going to stop making the shoe yep. for like two or three years. And he just thought that, well, I guess I'm done with Adidas. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, you know, scarcity works, right? Yeah. Mm. No, I think that so Arthur Held did that, who was you know the the GM of of, of originals at the time. He's now mm-hmm. managing director of Europe, and he took some bold decisions. I mean, I think that, that you asked me when the energy started to come back. It's like we wrote. So if I can get to that, yeah. Yeah. like so so basically we said you know we said okay now we need to have something compelling, uh, and and so we we gave ourselves a a big why, right? We said through sport we have the power to change lives, and with that why we got to work. We got to work on the culture. Which you know, basically, we, we focused on you know creating a creator culture of confidence and collaboration, yeah. and, uh, and and basically creativity that would allow for people to make mistakes and move fast. We we then focused on the business operating model, and I think again we talked about this off the air a little bit. Back at the time, Adidas was not making the same kind of money anybody else was. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so you know, the, the CFO at the time, Robin Stocker, would always put in my face, "Hey, VF makes more money than we do. Uh, Under Armour makes more money than we do. Nike makes more money." And I said, "Well, let's have a conversation about why. Let's 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 look at the operating model. What do you mean? Well, their operating models are brand folk are, are brand led, and geographies ex- execute. Ours ours is financially driven, and geography execute and, and geography driven. So it's like." We were very much financially driven with the 1711 road call, and the, mm. and the and the markets had the control of what they wanted to range and what they didn't want to range. At Nike, there's no market that's ever had that control. Yeah. It's headquarter driven, just like at Under Armour at the time. It's headquarter driven. Here's 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 the brand. Here's the price. You guys go execute it and execute. put it in the market. It, yeah. So it was always just the opposite of Adidas, and so that's what you know basically tore us apart a bit. So we had to change that. We did that through something called brand leadership, and then we wrote a strategic business plan on how to execute. So we did culture, operating model, and then we did strategic plan. Within that strategic plan, now I get to your point, yeah. we said, okay, how do we create the new? And we have to, again, be confident enough to take to take risks and be confident enough to do things that are un, un, unexpected. And taking shutting down Stan Smith for two years or a year and a half, I think it was, was the right answer because we were overselling it. And I would love to see bold moves like that being done by the Three Stripes today. It's like, when are you going to start to take those moves again to really limit and, and, and protect your, your grails, if you will? That era was so exciting that that led into that too because around 2015 then you start to get NMD yeah, Ultra Boost. Yeah. Do you remember when you first? But that, that didn't happen by mistake. That all happened yeah, because we yeah. we basically released you know the, the the greatest potential we had, which was our employees. Yeah. To be great. Mm. Do you remember like which of those models you first saw that you knew was going to be huge? I mean, it was really it started before that. It started you know maybe not so much in the U.S. but it started with the ZX. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the ZX yeah. coming back was the first one that Arthur and his team did, and they kind of led the comeback. And then. And then it was basically Pharrell with uh, with the uh, with the stands mm-hmm. you know, as, as we came out with that. And then then I saw the NMD and I was like, okay, here here we go. And at the same time, remember, I had been working with Boost from my previous job as head of sport mm-hmm. for a long time, and Boost wasn't gaining the traction we wanted. Um, it was it, it was great. It was Nike great. was trying to get Boost at one point, or they passed on it, or something Puma. like that. Puma. Puma. Yeah. Puma had relationships, and I. BASF. Not sure legally where that all 
hashed out, but they sure. had a relationship with BASF, and we were able to, yeah. to get in there and, and, and scoop it. Um, but anyway, so I had worked with Boost for years, and it was the best running innovation ever since, I, I still say it, since air. It was like for mm. 35 years, we, the industry was kind of held hostage to air as a cushioning thing. And Boost came up and kind of changed that whole dynamic. But remember, people said it looked like styrofoam. Yep. People yep. said it, like yep. it, didn't, it, it looked funny. And that was internally and externally. And so we were, we were creating a very niche running performance product. It was winning marathon after marathon, much like the carbon plates that, that, that you're seeing out mm -hmm. there today. But, you know, then we, we got into uh, Ultraboost OG which you know came out as, as as really like the defined silhouette that we could take that forward, and we did something pretty smart with Kanye at the time, where yeah. we we you know did, redid his deal, and we asked him to, or we didn't ask him, we put in the deal that all of Kanye's new Yeezy shoes would have Boost inside, so that just accelerated Boost to a, you know three to five billion business that it is today. With his, he was obviously aware of Boost and how successful it was. Was it tough to convince him to? No, no, no. he wanted he, he most of the um, the. Artists that I worked with uh, all want the latest innovations, mm. from from Stella to to Ye to to Pharrell to, to nobody wants to be on the outside. Beyonce, they all want to be at the cutting edge of innovation and how they can how they can interpret that. And many of them, most of them, all of them want uh, want it first. They want to be the ones that that, that you know sure. that bring it out. And yes. Like, okay. Well, you know, sometimes we can do that, but sometimes you have to put brand first. So when he wore the all white NMDs, and they also wore the black and purple ones. There's all like white. A, uh, Ultraboost. Sorry. Yeah. Wasn't it the halftime at yes. the Bulls? There was, but he was also, I think, before that, too, he was spotted wearing, I think it was a pair of, like, a compression pants and a pair of shorts and the black and purple. I'm walking yeah, the, 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 yeah, the yeah, Grail. Walk, the, walking, the original, yeah. he was walking, walking in New, New York. York. Yeah. 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 Was that, like, just his decision to wear it, or the brand kind of, like, was like, hey, we want you to wear this? To at that something. point, it was all him. Yeah. He, he, cho he, he wanted to represent the brand, of course, and we were paying him handsomely to do that. But it was it was basically his choice to then style himself based upon what what he wanted in the brand. So he chose that, and it that obviously helped. I mean, the, the the jump at the at the halftime of the Bulls game was you know to me that that, that was an Air Jordan moment for yes. us. Wow, 2015, he's at the Bulls game. He wears the all white at halftime. So if you can, like you know, Air Jordan moment. What is that like? What is that like? We see it. We were covering it. But yeah. What is it like internally when that happens? He's like you just see it. Yeah, it's it's super exciting, right? I, I joined the board in September 14, so I've got, I'm trying to do all these things I said before. I'm trying to get the culture so that we we stop fighting each other and, and get it all pointed out and reset that. I'm trying to trying to you know build a new operating model that's brand led and and, and not you know sales and finance led. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to you know script this SBP and all that happened in the course of 12 months. And I had a a, a baby girl in April of uh, 2015. So. It was it was a bit hectic time, but that was a highlight. Obviously, wow. and you know, I don't feel like I slept more than six hours or five hours any time. And I don't want to be one of those classic entrepreneurs that you yeah. only sleep three hours and then you should fast and then <laughs> cold plunge in the morning. That wasn't me at all. I was taking plenty of time, but it was it was it was crazy exciting time in my life. And you have to remember, I was forty six at the time, I think, and uh, I was no one. I didn't I didn't, I didn't know. What I, I didn't know everything I was trying to do was mm -hmm. going to work out. I mean, you you do what you think based on your gut and your best guess based upon, at that point, 20 years in the industry and working in both the U.S. and here, in, sorry, in Germany. And it was, it, was, uh, it was a ride of a lifetime. But that was, that was a 
key key point. What as about, was All Star Game here in Madison Square Garden and things like that. How about when he dropped Facts, his Nike diss song? How how excited was Adidas about that? Uh, that one, that one wasn't as excited as I, it <laughs> really. Just, it's, it's fine. I, I, listen, I, I I love Kanye's music. Yeah. I, I always have, always been a listener, so I, I love the album. I mean, Facts is great, but it, you know, it, I think it's uh, it was. I would think that if I were an <laughs> Adidas like employee at the time, I'd be hyped. You know, like he's. Of course, you're not you're not hating it. I'm just right. I, I don't I'm I'm a walk the talk, not a talk to. Okay, mm. fair enough. When he. I grew up in Wisconsin, Pittsburgh. So I, 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 I like to I like to leave it. Like to let my let my footprint speak for themselves. Got it. When, when he first came to Adidas from Nike, were you involved in that at all? I know Wex was one of the main people yeah, who orchestrated so that deal. But. I was I was not. I, I redid the deal, but Wex and Herman Dininger, mm-hmm. um, uh, who since has passed, um, they went down and met during Watch the Throne tour in Zurich, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. So they met in the green room with Jay and with and with Yay. So I was, I, I was not there, but Wex was there with, uh, with I think Herman and a few others. Because I know we've spoken to Wex, and I think it was maybe at Complex Con when we did full size run Wex in like 2018 years 20, ago, 2017, yeah, where he basically at that point like pre, pre, Kanye at Adidas, he basically was like, I used to like pray every morning that like something would change with this company because I just thought it was like going to go out of business, that like he was going to lose his job and the company was going to go under. Did you have that feeling before all of that? Or? No, I think there was frustrations that were building up because of the internal dynamic that we were, I mean, listen, I, one time I was heading up uh, U.S. footwear and I had to go to Germany 14 times in one year. Just because I believe that you you, you don't win because because the idea of being a U.S. employee at that time was to get the Germans to let you do something um, and, and and to get you the Germans to listen to your feedback so you get better product for the market or whatever. So imagine the energy and time consumption that would go into that kind of conversation to go over there 14 times in one year and that's before there was a direct flight between Portland and Europe. Mm-hmm. So it was like here I come Cincinnati again and, yeah. and it was it was pretty brutal. So. But to me, that's that was important for me to build the relationships with them. So then when I pick up the phone and say, I got to have this at this price point or this colorway, they would listen and not just be, okay, you're just another silly American. We got this covered. So to me, that was the dynamic. So I can't speak for how Wex was internalizing yeah. that. I was internalizing as, as it was just a tremendous waste of energy and resources versus, you know, really focusing on the consumer. So. When we, when I did get to the job where I could affect that, I made sure that everybody had a role to play and that everything started to point towards the consumer, and we were, became much more consumer obsessed, which led to you know R1 and OG and and 350 and some of the other things that we we had to do. So, it was a tough time. There's no doubt, and and I would be um, remiss if I didn't say I was I was answering the phone at that point. You, you talk about the disconnect. Do you ever feel like you got passed up for CEO because you're not German? <laughs> um, wow. I don't think it had anything to do with my, my it might, uh, who knows? I mean, I can't, I can't speak for the supervisory board. I was disappointed, extremely disappointed that mm. uh, we went external for a CEO when they, when they brought in Casper. Um, I think they undervalued not just me, but brand advocacy at the time and, and storytellers and, uh, and people that come from the brand. I think this industry, because it's built on objects of desire, needs to be run by brand people. Mm-hmm. And when you put operators on top, there's always a decision, a uh, supervisor border that has to decide. Do you put a brand person on top, supported by operators, or do you put an operator on top and supported by brand um, people? And I think that was a decision they made. I get it for the aforementioned reasons of not being profitable like our competitors were at the time. Um, I, res- I respect the decision. I, I mean, you know, I, I stuck my nose in there and fought like, you know, fought for the brand for three more years after that decision. But at a certain point, I had things in my head that I had to, I had to express outside. Did you internally feel defeated to some extent, though, or no? I'm a competitive person. I, I, I like to win. 
So I would, I would say, yeah. <laughs> you were winning at that that period though, that mid yeah, two thousand tens. We were that, on a run. Yeah, the the just the momentum of Adidas at that time. It's was Fantastic. So... I mean, we we grew. We put what five billion of revenue on the top line in three years. Put seven billion on the top line in five years. I mean, and, and uh, how big is something like NMD in that? Uh, I can't speak to numbers. It's, it's certainly well shut. Well, sh- well. I mean, at the time, I can only speak to probably less than 250, 250 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, in that neighborhood, though. But it sets it sets the 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 pinnacle, right? So it sets the edge for people to buy, you know, derivatives of that, whether it be through Boost or other pieces. Um, I can't say what it got to, though. I think NMD had a had a second birth um, after I left with some of the colorways and things they were sure, doing. So sure, sure, The R1. Um, and, uh, yeah, I can't say how big they took it at that time. We had Paul Middleman on the yes. podcast, and he basically talked about, like, the Pharrell deal coming to fruition at a McDonald's in <laughs> Germany, I think. That's that's what yeah. he said, right? Probably in Herzogenarach. Right? Yeah, that's basically right. he was like, like... one McDonald's in the entire... Yeah. yeah, basically, like, they were in the drive-thru and they were, like, talking about Adidas deal and, like, Pharrell was, like, into it. What do you remember about, like, working with Pharrell and how that deal came about? And, like, just, I think uh, Paul also said, like, he would just, like, sketch on napkins in hotels and stuff like that. Pharrell. Yeah, listen, I mean, I... I had the pleasure of meeting Pharrell. I had the pleasure of working with Pharrell. Um, he is an unbelievable, not just talent, but human being. Um, but I would say that all the all that kind of work stuff was done by Paul and Wex and, okay. and, and some of the others. I mean, uh, Nick and, and, and the guys that worked with him day in and day out. I, I, I've smartly left the styling and the, and the creative management to others. Um, I knew how to empower people and let them go and, and run that the way they seem fit. So... Um, loved meeting for all the time we had together, and I've met with him several times and stayed in touch with him since I've left. But I, uh, I, I did not have the opportunity to work hand-in-hand hand with him like others. One random question. What was your go-to sneaker when you worked there in the last, like, decade out of all the ones? It was the Samba or it was Ultra Boost OG. What do you think about the Samba moment that's going on now? I love the Tito. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fantastic look, and it's, I'm, I'm glad to have it back. I, I need to buy a few more. Mm. But um, You have to buy Sambas? Today? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, yes. <laughs> Come on, Eric. You, you could, you could text somebody. I, I'm sure I could text, but I want to support the cause. You know, okay, like, but at I, least I can you also buy them afford... at the employee store. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that that's a yes. I can. <laughs> I, I, I could get into the employee store yeah, if you needed to. I, if I needed to. <laughs> what, what was the feeling like when you know we're talking about Adidas rising up in 2014, 2015, 2016, and then right around 2017, you kind of see Nike kind of got woken up. Yeah. a little bit and they do off white the 10 yep air max 97 comes back huge shoe and they cleaned out yay's entourage yeah um yeah. what what was that feeling like i mean I, I guess maybe in my head i'm thinking it's like you know you're a football team and you you're the underdog and you're winning 43 to 17 and all of a sudden <laughs> the other team starts scoring a few yeah. touchdowns and it starts getting close and you're like wait we were up 20 something points how are we it's, it's, the game it, right it's, now. Fun, it's funny. I mean, I, I think uh, investors always ask me that. Like, when are you going to beat Nike? And I said, well, tell me when the game's over. So it's like, you tell me the end of the game, and I can develop a strategy to tell mm-hmm. you how, how we can win. But, like, I can't, I can't just say, you know, inevitable, we're going we're gonna to win. I think that's, that's, that's not uh, – that you, what you want to do is somehow build in your, in your culture – and your mindsets, how do you keep, you know, building on top of S-curve after F-curve after S-curve, if you will? And I think what, what you're mentioning is we had an S-curve run with all the things we talked about, whether it be mm. the R1 or whether it be the OG or whether it be Yay or you know, all the different things kind of 
or for all, it put us on this, this, this growth. And what I've learned over time is you have to be playing the next S curve when you know you're hitting before you hit the plateau. If, if you hit, if you hit the plateau, then you're in trouble. And I think one of the things looking back, I would have been much more adamant about what's next and not rested um, mm. enough. And I think that would have prevented a Virgil from leaving. I, mean, I had tons of conversations with Virgil when he'd come along to Herzog with with Ye. I, you know, uh, uh, Travis, uh, every, everybody Wait, did was... did you pitch? Did you pitch Yeah, how close? How we close? couldn't. We, we, Wex and I would always talk about it. I mean, Ye, would, Ye would say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy. Ah. So, so and it's like, then that's fine. I get it. You but, couldn't you know, work with Virgil. He... Listen, I mean, I don't, I want, I don't want to say I ever asked the question that directly, sure. but the air in the room would 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 go in into one person's direction. Did he ever person. recommend anyone else to you guys? Not to me, not to me specifically. I think he, we would always speak to him about different things and uh, different people and different opportunities. But I think, um, you know, yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a, yeah, he's an unbelievable creator, mm-hmm. and he would, you know, demand resources, yeah. <laughs> as you can imagine. So. To me, to get back to your point, it's like I think when we saw Nike start to put some wins up, you know, it was it was not we knew they would. Nike's Nike's Nike. They're they're mm-hmm. unbelievable. But they the the, the 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 playing of our game, which is what I like coaches speak. Let's let's focus on what we can control. I think I would have done one thing differently, which is why I would have put more focus on not resting on some of these great great wins we had, but really doubling down on what's next. And I think you know, that's, that's just some reflection I've done since I've left. But some of the things, it's, we waited till we plateaued, and then it was, it's hard to jumpstart. This one is maybe more of a Wex question, and we did get a chance to ask it, but i got to ask you, too. Do you remember when Adidas was trying to sign Drake and how far along that got? Yeah, it's probably more of a Wex question. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, can you, what can you tell me? Yeah, listen, I, I was part of it. I was, being, I was not in the room. Yeah. I was in the room with his people. Um, I was in the room during the plan and the strategy and designs and everything else, and uh, and I was in the room when it fell apart. So, mm. I, but I was never Why in the room. I was apart? never in the room with Drake. I, I can't really discuss that. I mean, mm. I, I don't think I, I can t- discuss that in great detail. So yeah. I would just I would just punt on that one. Mm. But it fell apart for all the obvious reasons. Well, you talked about hearing facts for the first time. What was it like hearing the Pusha T track for the first time? Again, like I'm, uh, you know, I get informed from these, from the culture of it's not necessarily what I feel. It's what the consumer and, and what people are feeling out there about us when mm-hmm. that happens. And I think, you know, I, I think to be quite honest, you know, I had to have Wex and a few other guys sit me down and then talk to and educate me on what, what the background politics was and how it came to be and what the beefs were and all that stuff. So to me, I, I'm, I'm not the guy that's going to be on the cutting edge of culture and understanding those things like you guys talk about. I learn from you guys every time I listen to you. So to me, it's more about having the people that know that and manage that and then putting them in positions to win. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I couldn't tell you that I, I knew what Pusha T was getting to when I first heard it, or the 10th time I heard it, until right. somebody <laughs> said, no, this is what's happening here. Yeah. Like, ah, right. all right. No, right. Can you be a little more obvious? I, I, I yeah. Okay, last strike thing. It, at least was it far enough along where people were mocking up designs and things like that? Was it at that point? Like, were there, were there CADs and things? We, we, you know, we planned 18 months out. So, yeah, uh, yeah wow. of course, we had to have a strategy with, with him and his team to, to develop things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd say, like, it was pretty – as we've gone down roads many times with other people, it's not yeah. just Drake. You, yeah. you prepare for these things, whether it be Messi or whether it be, whether it be uh, Harden or whoever it may be. And, you know, this one was with Drake. So, of course, we would be we'd be – irresponsible if we didn't have plans in place with strategies and marketing and everything else to present to his team and get feedback so that we could proceed 
with haste. Yeah. Um, you know, I think those things were were some of the things I'm proud about was bringing operational diligence to some of these ideas that we like could we're execute. ready to go. We're ready to go. We're ready to, to do this, and we're ready to jump. Let's go. And when it falls apart, okay, you take that, and you put it in line, and you move to the next thing. Yeah. Eric, I was talking to someone who used to work at Adidas as well, and I asked him, where do you think everything went wrong in the past few years or whatever? And his answer he gave me was, when Eric Lickie left, that's when everything went wrong. And the quote was, he had the sauce. It's very nice to hear. It got a tear in my eye. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, – what do you want me to say? I don't know. <laughs> just, yeah. Was like it I a said, hard decision I'm, to uh, leave? It was a terrible hard decision to leave. Yeah. I, I, I spent years thinking about it. Um, you know, I was 26 years of my life. Though at the time, it was almost half my life. So I, I, I will always bleed three stripes. But um, – I had something else in my head. You know, I'd mm. taken Adidas as far as I could at the time. I believe in having fresh um, ideas, mm. join a board and, and, and drive that. I think sometimes boards can get stale. I don't think people should sit on boards for more than five, six years. I think they'll, they'll express what they should or they should have by then, <laughs> whether they did or they didn't, and they should they should move on. Um, and I think uh, I, I've got this, uh, this idea in my head about, you know, disrupting the entire fashion industry because I think we are on a on a sustainability track, if we can pivot to that, I think mm-hmm. we have you know things we need to do better in this industry, and and I'm here to try to be a, a lightning uh, a lighthouse for others to follow. If you yeah, will. when you left Adidas, was that immediately what you got to work on? Like how soon after that did you say? Yeah, I mean, there was non-compete things. I made sure, sure I was respectful and everything while, yeah. like that. So, but I, I, in my head, I was already working on it for two years. I mean, I think on unless. Not unless per se, but but plant-based solutions. Yeah. So I mean, just to back up, I mean, I think we all have to understand there's a there's a problem with uh, plastics in in the world, and if you haven't been aware of that, you should. And mm-hmm. fashion's culpable in that. They're not alone, but they're you know, 60% of fashion is coming from petrochemicals, which is some sort of petroleum feedstock. Um, 70% probably in sports industry is is coming from that. So. It, when I was at Adidas, you know, a guy named Cyril Gooch walked in my room, in my room one time from Parley for the Oceans and mm. said, hey, do you want to help save the oceans? And I'm like, I'm a water guy. I'm, yeah, yeah, let's do yeah. that. I'm not sure what that means for Adidas, but yeah. let's do that. And within a year, I was presenting the, the Parley, um, Parley um, Ultra Boost, I mean, Ocean Plastic at the UN in I, 2015. I met you there. Yeah, exactly. So to me, it was unbelievable. It was like, oh, my God, this is like I can, I can create change. And then we picked a fight with plastic and moved on. But that was with an awareness of – Plastic problem, ocean plastic problem, and things like that. As we, you know, as we dig deeper, as as I dug deeper in, into that, you know, wormhole, if you will, the degradation of the planet, degradation of the oceans, what's doing to our fish stocks, what's doing to the sea mammals, everything else, you can't unsee and unhear that stuff. So as much as I could move Adi towards that direction of mm-hmm. being yeah. plastic free or at least recycled polyester instead of virgin polyester, fantastic. But I knew at a certain point I'd done what I could, and I couldn't get this out of my head. You know, you can only whisper yourself to sleep so long thinking that you know, you're playing obsolescence of three, six, nine-month drops yeah. of things, you know, wrapping people in polyester and, and petroleum, um, and what if I could do something different? And I was foolish, confident, cocky, um, uh, arrogant enough to think that, you know, I, I did pretty good at Adi. Yeah. What if I could lead a plant-based, you know, revolution in the industry, just like plant-based proteins have done in, in food? So let's give it a shot. How difficult is it to do 100% sustainability in like footwear? Yeah, exactly. I don't. I don't use the word sustainability, and yeah. I just that's one of my pet peeves. I think it's 100%. We're solving for end of life, and okay. we're solving for everything we make from this this crew to the shoes I've on to the socks I've on is made from 100% stuff that comes from the ground to go back into the ground. So it's plants and minerals basically, right? So could I eat it? 
If you wanted to, I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't harm you. Just like it won't <laughs> harm the soil. Might be a cool like but, ad campaign. Yeah, on. well, he's planning the next. Adidas, we're planning. We're, we're, the we're next planning. Adidas influencer thing. Exactly. Maybe planting doing the that seed. That's Instagram. what we do it on. Uh, right? Yeah, I like we plant it. the yeah, seed. Like, it comes exactly. from the earth. Yeah. So everything we make goes back to being warm and plant food, right? Okay. So yes, you could technically eat it. It wouldn't harm you because everything we do doesn't in, doesn't involve petrochemicals or any kind of. Um, chemistry involved in, in how the how you um, how you ferment the product you know to, to create hard things so it's incredibly difficult um, apparel easier it would seem on its face because everybody says well this is 100% cotton that's 100% cotton shirt but ultimately the FCC guide uh, sets those guidelines and it really only needs to be 85% cotton because they don't talk about the ribs and the closures and the threads and the dyes and the inks okay. we hold ourselves to a higher standard everything we do everything on this on this French Terry crew I have on is 100% plants and minerals so that, that, that harmlessly goes away and we do soil chemistry testing at the end of life when we put when we when we compost it to make sure it is ultimately going away in a, in, a, in a harmless way. Yeah, but then to build a shoe, that's gotta be even harder. The shoes right? are made of typically nine, seven to 11 different materials. So that's like nine different materials. Most of them are, are made with uh, either either leather that's been um, that's been tanned and, and, and you know basically a pretty harsh process there, or it's done with, uh, with plastic uh, uppers, um, you know, called plastic, polyester, nylons, you know, whatever you may be, it's all synthetics. And then midsoles, outsoles are, are all 100% synthetic, yeah. except if you're using some sort of um, latex natural rubber, which is very rare in this industry. So, and then you use the glues. So the glues go into it, and that's a petroleum-based glue. There's no such thing as a natural glue other than latex right now. So for us to try to do that was a three-year project. Um, yeah, you know, three you years know, to make the shoe. Yeah, I mean, I, well, when I left Adidas, it's been almost three, yeah, three, yeah. three plus years. Yeah. So I started, you know, what I could do is work behind the curtain, and I could start to talk to people and innovators and work in the venture capital fund, uh, route and working with the different people in the, uh, in the, in the material innovation. Because, you know, what I did at Adi was really two things. It was like, the intersection of material innovations with BASF or ocean plastic or 3D printing with consumer behavior and how do we change, how do we, how do we marry the two. So I don't let I'm just trying to do the same thing, but I'm doing it from a 100% plant-based feedstock and how do I marry that with consumer behavior? How do I give consumers a chance to vote for, for that solution? And that's what we kind of built. So I worked with um, you know, Natural Fiber Welding, which is a good partner of ours. They're out of Peoria, Illinois, which is another cool thing. You get to work with these startups that are really on the cutting edge of mm. of. Polymer I think that's where chemistry. the IRS is uh, headquartered, right? I don't think so. I've been down in Peoria. I don't see IRS. Uh, um, Caterpillar is there. Let me double check. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so anyway, Peoria, Illinois, Bradley University, former, um, former uh, chemist who worked for the Department of Defense, is there with a radical way of, of doing 100% plant-based leathers and, canvas, and and basically cotton that can be that can be uh, welded together in 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 a in a, in a clean and in, in a clean and non-toxic way that then will come apart when you're done using it when you put it back in the ground. Do you think brands have a long way to go in terms of like manufacturing product like like you are? I don't. That's why. That's why we built it. That's okay. why. That's. I mean, to me, it was like I. I, I saw what we were able to do at Parley for the Oceans, and I think Parley for the Oceans is a multi-billion mm -hmm. um, business for uh, for Adidas today. And again, I, I'm not. I'm not privy to those numbers, but I saw. I said, Hey, what if we build a brand, knowing, learning what I learned from Parley, and doing it from a better feedstock? Because Parley still uses ocean plastic. But what if we use no plastic, and we build it from a startup that we found, and, and NFW is the best one we found from that, and. We then can pilot that for, you know, basically we engineered a, a regenerative creation model, if you will, which is like the materials we use, how we put it together, how we distribute it, how we collect it, how we, how we work with composters to put it back in the ground and create plant and worm food. That's, that's done. We're doing that now as a brand. So now I think I can now work with brands to help them through collaborative partnerships 
or through you know ultimately being the intel inside and helping them do the same thing we've done. Um, and I think that's my that's my dream. I, I don't I have no interest in creating generational wealth for myself mm-hmm. uh, or or the, or the co-founders. We have a very specific you know mission to create generational change in the industry and doing that at, at with the urgency urgency that we believe the planet needs, which is working with um, other brands. And I think that's. Uh, unf- l- luckily enough, I know. I think I know somebody everywhere, so yeah. I can I can get on the I can get on speed down. You know, talk to the talk to the different brands that are out did, there that need the. Did you see? I think it was this week. Our a friend of ours, Hikmet, um, he did a collab with SpongeBob, and they made the shoes out of pineapple. There you go. Leather. Exactly. So to me, it's like it's I would a, eat that too. <laughs> but he's eating. He wants to eat everything. I think it's great. But yeah, I, I would. I, I, I would. Like you know, I think. I think up. we can talk about uh, some sort of relationship on doing that in the future. <laughs> I'd love to get you on camera, right, yeah, with your, D- with your Adidas headphones on, and uh, you're, you're, on less, like, you're on less fried steaks in front of you. <laughs> um, I misspoke. I, I don't. I think the IRS is just headquartered somewhere in Washington D.C. Oh. I think maybe they have an office in Peoria. I think they have an office just about everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> is, that, is that the one you had to visit? I tried to. I tried too hard. Uh, what do you? What? I don't know. I don't know anybody any money. <laughs> but I think that I think the interesting thing about our industry is. We, we used to talk about this a lot. It's, it's, it's about the product. But every time I hear you guys talk about the product, you're really talking about the story that goes with the product. Yeah, totally. And, and, and we used to talk about this. So Torben Schumacher, who's the, now the GM of Originals at Adidas, he used to always, we always thought it's, it's, it's obviously desire, our product times story times distribution. Mm-hmm. So we talk about it's a, it's a formula that if you get one of them wrong, so if they sell the Tiffany's thing mm-hmm. at, you know, Kohl's, it's going to be a failure, right? No right. matter how good the product is, how good the story is, it's going to be a, it's going to be a failure. So if you get one of those wrong, it's a zero. And it's like that really crystallized my thinking. So when we think about, you know, through the years, you know, everything we always had a story. Like think about the, the Ultra Boost. We had a mm-hmm. Ultra Boost, you know, basically best running shoe ever. Great, we sell that at distribution. It speaks to that. We had Ultra Boost made with Ocean Plastic. We sell that at distribution. Different story, same silhouette. We had Ultra Boost with Ronnie at, at Kith. Mm-hmm. We different distribution. So the thing is, you could tell stories upon those. And Nike's a master at this. They keep these silhouettes alive through story. So. As we think about the stories that have taken over the industry, something for you guys to chew on. We've talked about the game. Something, yeah, there we right? go. Yeah. Something for us to chew Just on? Chewing on everything. The shoe, yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. I, I love the way you keep coming back to that. But <laughs> let me finish this, then you can go back to please, the please, please. menu. Are you, are you fasting? <laughs> <laughs> but I think there was, a, there was an era of game, and there was an era where sports dominated everything. And that's, you know, Jordan came out of that, and everything was about the sports performance. Dion, Bonos, all that stuff came out of sports, 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 sport, right? That all the stories were dominated by sport. You know, recently with, you know, Run DMC and then with Travis and with, and with Virgil and with Ye and everything else, it's, it's become all about the story outside of sport and about the lifestyle. Like the, recognizing the culture of sport doesn't stop when you leave the pitch. It goes into the hallways and the streets and the music venues. I believe the next great story area is around the world and how we give back. And if you look at the things that, that Nike's doing with Jordan and James Whitaker at uh, yeah. Amma and, and everything's about, you know, the, whole, the bigger picture of social justice climate justice and some of these things. So to me, I think what we'll find going forward is this storytelling era that's coming to life with what I, what I think making a difference in the world. And I think that's that from a consumer is just as important. These, all of our consumers, are they care about the game. I got to jump higher, run faster, kick stronger, the life of do I look good, and the world. Yeah. Right now, the industry doesn't really give them a chance to express their world you know, in a positive way. I mean, they're, they're still, we're still making them wrap, them wrap their feet in polyester bags. Eric, there's one more thing I gotta ask you about, yep. and I'm gonna take it there because you mentioned Torben Schumacher. Yes. Last I year, I gave you the in. You gave you gave <laughs> me you gave me the seg, so I have to take it. 
as Ye is having his public meltdown, which I think is hard for everybody to watch, there's this infamous video that comes out, and he's meeting with some Adidas people, and their faces are all blurred out, but I know you were in that meeting, and it, it's, it's an uncomfortable situation. He's, he's showing the porn video to people in the room. I think he's telling them that he wants Adidas to bring you back and make you CEO. Can you talk about that event? Can you talk about that moment? I really can't. I'm, I'm, it's very difficult for me to watch, yeah. you know, Ye's unraveling. Yeah. And, and uh, um, yeah, I can't. I mean, I think he was, he was um, unjust in the way he treated Torben in that meeting. Yeah. And um, he was disrespectful. And uh, I, I, uh, I just want to say to Torben directly here that it was, it was, it was inappropriate. And uh, I'm, I'm, I don't like the fact that I was a, I was party to it mm-hmm. um, in some way, shape, or form. I wish I wasn't there. Yeah, I was. I know what you mean because I, I feel like even you know I've had some regrets about even the way we covered Yay before it all unraveled. Like, did we, were we not critical enough, or, or were we not? And then when it all kind of fell apart, it, it was it was this moment of like reflection of like should we have approached this differently? I don't know if you had any of those feelings. Yeah, I mean, I I. I I think we all tend to be self-critical, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's healthy. I mean, uh, reflective and feedback is, is a good way to go through life and, and looking to always improve yourself. Um, I think uh, I think with Ye, there was enough warning signals that we all could have done better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I wish the best for everyone, including Ye, but uh, at this point, you know, I, I, I'm keeping my distance. Yeah, fair enough. Well, we appreciate you talking about it. We appreciate you coming on here, like, yeah. like I said, like, we don't get execs to, yes. to get to you know come down from the ivory tower and chat with us. So, Exen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a startup guy. I'm hustling. So uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, sorry we didn't get to do this when I was in the chair. I mean, I, I don't know why, but um, here we are at last. So Real shoe dog stuff. Yes, too. definitely. That's 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 important to me. He yeah. said at last. Get it? He yeah. Took, he yeah took us at last. He took yeah. us started with the last. At last. Yes. The last. You guys, you guys are good like that. Yeah. You guys play that really nicely. No, it's <laughs> a pleasure so being much. here. You guys are, you guys are doing a killer job, and, and, I, and I, I enjoy listening to you guys, so I can keep myself educated on the comings and goings of things oh, wow. in, in the industry. All Thanks right. so much, man. Unless collective, be on the lookout. Uh, just getting started in the, in the, and you know, I like th- throughout the episode, you're like you're a competitive person and your will to win. So. Definitely uh, excited to see. I'm not just doing it for myself. I'm yeah. trying to do it for my kids and my kids' kids and yours. Um, yes. So I think we we need to you know we we shouldn't make people compromise their values for their tastes or their tastes for their values. And yeah. I think uh, right now we're asking them to buy sustainably and we're asking them to compromise their 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 tastes. So let's let's give them something that they can they want to rock and they know to do better for the world. Awesome, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you giving us your time. And uh, this has been the Complex Sneakers Podcast. We hope everyone has a great weekend. Please like, subscribe. We will see you next week. Our producer is David Matthews. Our associate producer is Jillian Hardman-Webb. Audio editing done by Haley Choi. Special thanks to Jen Stewart, Shiva Bayet, and Haley Choi. The Complex Sneakers Podcast is a production of the Complex Podcast Network.